Welcome to the Waterline Live, connecting the Humber to COP26. Welcome to this uh, press conference by the World Meteorological Organization on the provisional state of the global climate in 2021. So first of all, I'd like to introduce the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, for a short statement uh, on this report. The provisional state of the Global Climate 2021 report of the World Meteorological Organization draws from the latest scientific evidence to show how our planet is changing before our eyes. Ecosystems and communities around the globe are being devastated. Greenhouse gases in the atmosphere are at record levels and rising. Sea level rise is double the rate it was 30 years ago. COP26 must be a turning point to safeguard our future and save the World Meteorological Organization launched its provisional State of the Climate report for 2021. WMO Secretary-General Professor Pateri Tallis has grave concerns. So the, the, the report is showing that we haven't seen any, any major improvement in the real atmosphere and, and what, what, what matters uh, uh, when, when we talk about climate change is what, what happens in the real atmosphere. And we saw an increase of the main greenhouse gas concentrations uh, despite of these positive uh, uh, development and, and lockdowns of, of, of COVID. And, uh, and the negative trend in, in most parameters that we are measuring is, has, has been continuing. We have seen doubling of the sea level rise during the past uh, 20 years. Uh, we have seen uh, uh, also doubling of the melting of the main, main glaciers. Uh, worldwide and uh, we have started seeing also more often climate extremes, uh, flooding uh, problems, uh, heat waves, uh, drought and, and also we have last year we broke uh, all-time record in the amount of uh, hurricanes in Caribbean. You said the best we could hope for was 1.5 but you didn't sound very hopeful. So, so we, we should do our utmost to reach 1.5. Uh, the IPCC report three years ago demonstrated clearly that uh, that would be the best for the welfare of mankind, uh, best for the ec economy globally, and also be best for the for the welfare of the of the biosphere. And uh, so that's uh, that's uh, that, that's a goal that we should uh, try to reach. And uh, and of course, at the moment we are heading towards uh, 2.5 to 3 degrees uh, warming range. Uh, which is better than the scenarios in the, in, the, in the past. We used to have scenarios uh, aiming at four to five degrees warming. So we have done already something, especially in developed world, uh, mm. but we have to, we, we need these global efforts and we need to have uh, also these big emitters from, from uh, non-OECD countries, China, India, Indonesia, Brazil type of countries on board. Mm. One climate scientist who measures CO2 said, the problem with net zero is that's the point we stop making things worse. Do we stand any chance of making things better? So this is going to happen very, that's a long-term challenge, so it's, it happens very slowly. The, the removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere takes, uh, takes up to hundreds of years, uh, so that's uh, even thousands of years, and that's, uh, that's bad, bad news. So if we, if we let the carbon dioxide concentration to grow, certain level it's it's very slow process to, to return back to the norm so that means that the coming generations for 
least coming hundreds of years uh, would, would suffer from that. And actually sea level rise and the melting of the glaciers uh, is going to continue for, for hundreds of years because already this high level of carbon dioxide. And there are some eminent uh, polar scientists concerned that the acceleration in melting could lead to as much as a four metre sea level rise. Is that plausible in your view? So, so if, if you look at the most recent IPCC report, uh, the, the range uh, for, uh, until, until uh, the, the end of uh, this century would be something like 30 to 60 centimeters. Uh, but if, if, the, if, the, if, if the melting of especially Antarctic glacier is speeding up, uh, there's a risk that we would see uh, several meters uh, sea level rise by 2300. And, but this, this will anyhow continue and, and, and the range is fairly fairly high. So in, in the worst case we could see two meters by by the end of this century and uh, up to seven meters by the by 2300. But uh, but that's that, that's very uncertain I would say. But what would be disastrous obviously? Of course for for, for, for many big cities and, and we have lots of uh, world population living in the in the low-lying coastal areas. So that's uh, that's that's of course a major 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 challenge for the welfare of mankind. Uh, I am Juni Lee at Busan National University. Uh, I am professor uh, for climate science in uh, Busan National University, Republic of Korea. Uh, and I have served as coordinating lead author of uh, chapter four of Working Group One contribution to IPCC six assessment report. So my chapter uh, uh, is mainly uh, assessing the future changes in global climate. Uh, so mainly large-scale uh, changes, including global mean surface temperature changes in the future under different scenarios. So, so what were in the, sort of the headlines of what you were discovering? Uh, so basically, uh, I think people are wondering uh, whether we can stop further warming or not. Uh, and uh, our chapter uh, tried to answer the question. Uh, then we show that whether we can stop further warming or not is in our hands. Limiting further warming requires immediate, rapid and sustained reductions in carbon dioxide, methane and other greenhouse gases. This would not only reduce the consequences of global warming, but also improve air quality. Uh, also, we uh, emphasize that with rapid reductions of greenhouse gas emissions, and targeting to reach net zero carbon dioxide emissions around 2050, it is extremely likely that global warming can stay below 2 degrees Celsius. And it is also more likely than not that global warming would stay below 1.6 degrees Celsius, then decline to below 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. I think this is the most important result in our chapter. And very significant and one of the reasons now why uh, the world's leaders have been meeting to primarily cut greenhouse gas emissions but at the moment I think they're looking for a 55% reduction by 2030 but at the moment only seven and a half percent and I was talking to the Secretary General of the World Meteorological Organization he was estimating that at the moment we could be hitting for double that, like 
two and a half to three degrees if people don't meet these targets. Uh -huh. I mean, is, is that what you were seeing in the different models? That if we don't hit these targets, we are going to have some problems? Uh, so, uh, in the Working Group 1 report, we assess the changes under different scenarios. Then now we are assessing the illustrative set of five uh, future emission scenarios. Then, uh, the mentioning before, uh, uh, I mentioned about the future changes under very low emission scenarios, uh, which will lead us to go to a little below 1.5 degrees Celsius warming by the end of the century. Uh, but we have uh, middle-range uh, emission scenarios. Uh, in this scenario, the greenhouse gas emission will stay similar level like this until 2050, and then it will decline. Uh, 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 further, uh, uh, then in the middle uh, of road scenario, uh, then the expected global warming uh, we, uh, uh, is more than two degree uh, between two to three degrees Celsius. Yes, I think that's what we could be doing now if we don't hit these targets. So you set out quite clearly: we need to hit these targets to keep below 1.5 degrees. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and, um, I mean, for you, this is a, probably one of the most significant parts of the reports. I mean, what's it like for you as a, a scientist and academic to work on this type of research? Uh, so, I feel like climate science uh, uh, is very special. So, in the one hand, it is a pure science involving many basic science uh, like physics, chemistry, biology, mathematics, statistics uh, with climate modeling. So this is a pro science but on the other hand it is very relevant to society. So I feel kind of responsibility for my studies. Then also we are trying to provide a robust result of assessment for our understanding and how the climate respond to these emissions of greenhouse gases and how it will change in future. And the talks here today on energy, I know there's a big move to reduce coal usage. I know Korea is making some good steps forward in that direction uh, and it hopes to maybe host COP in a couple of years. Um, what, what do you see in the region? Are you optimistic that coal usage can be brought down? So nowadays, I feel that society is changing, also especially in Korea. So before, uh, they were asking me regarding uh, whether climate change is real or not. But nobody asked like the question anymore. And they asked me how we respond and uh, what is our option? Uh, well, uh, what should be our near-term action to meet the, our long-term goal, something like that. So, uh, I, I, I think I'm more uh, 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 positive in this regard, and I see that actually the society people are moving uh, for positive way. And of course, we tend to get focused on energy and fossil fuels, which is good because renewables are good and actually nuclear has a place as well in all of this. Um, but there are so many other areas and I know the built environment is another area being looked at uh -huh. 
which can make substantial reductions in CO2 and greenhouse gases. Uh, right, I think there are great potential in that regard, but uh, unfortunately I'm not the expert no. <laughs> in this field. Yeah. But mainly we should just acknowledge that there are many sources to greenhouse gases, mm-hmm. not energy alone. Oh, that is absolutely true. Uh, but in the Korea case, actually this you know, energy is the main source for that. But you're right that there are also other sources uh, for the emissions of greenhouse gases. So, um, for you then, where do you go for here? Are, are you continuing to monitor this? Will you be inputting to the next report to see what progress we've made and what the projections look like? Uh, so I still have a big mission. So in, in the recent report, uh, actually we see significant scientific advances uh, in refining and uh, increasing our confidence for the future projection. However, uh, still there are limitations and we still need to improve uh, our climate models uh, for making better projections for the future climate changes. So as a climate scientist, I still need to do more work uh, uh, to provide more better information to society. And of course, air quality is another concern. Uh, about uh, gas emissions and uh, other emissions. Uh, What are things like in your region for air quality? Uh, So, yeah, I'm from South Korea and air quality is one of the important issues, especially in the cities like Seoul, Busan. So, uh, also it is very important to reduce this, uh, improve air quality as well. So, in the uh, recent report, actually we have uh, um, more assessment for this air quality issue compared to the previous report and we emphasize that there will be co-benefit to reduce air quality and also some of greenhouse gases we if we reduce uh, uh, something like methane then it will also improve air quality as well what is the greatest risk what is the thing that can really prevent us achieving the targets that you've identified uh, so, in this report, we provide climate information, so uh, I, I feel like the question may be for the working group 3 uh, in IPCC and that report is coming next March and the report will address that question. People are asking how will we know if our effort to stop climate change are working, right? I think that is a very important question. And I think if we join our hand together to stop climate change, the benefits of our efforts will be realized in many aspects of the climate system. But those benefits may not be immediately felt. The time required to detect benefit would depend on the scale and pace of emissions reductions and climate component. For example, the impact on air quality will come quickly within a few years. A sustained reduction in carbon dioxide emissions, however, will become apparent in atmospheric concentration after about 5 to 10 years. And it could take around 20 years to see 20 to 30 years to see stabilization of global temperature 
due to natural climate variability. So EST requires more time to see benefit of our mitigation action. However, by limiting warming, some changes in the climate system could be slowed and others could be stopped. <laughs> However, some changes in the climate system are already set in motion. Sea level rise, for instance, is irreversible for centuries to millennia, even if we limit warming to around 1.5 degrees Celsius. I think this is an important message. So there are some climate change uh, which is irreversible already. So we're talking about shifts in weather patterns, melting of the poles. Mm -hmm. That is something that is already well advanced in many respects. And even if we achieve what you have set out, we will feel those effects for many decades, if not centuries to come. Uh, yeah, right. So uh, the response time really depends on the component of climate system. So some component will respond slowly. So we may see our benefit long time after uh, our effort. I think I get the sense that you're optimistic that there can be an effort to achieve 1.5 degrees, but we have to be realistic that we're going to have to live with the effects of what we've done over the preceding time well into the future. Uh, you're right. So we already committed climate change and we already uh, reached to 1.1 degrees Celsius of warming uh, due to our past emissions. And this past emission will affect uh, future climate change as well. However, we still have a chance to limit global warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius. I think we still have a chance, but the opportunity of window is getting smaller and smaller. So this is time for us to act. Otherwise, uh, it will be really difficult to meet our long-term goal. I guess it's as if we're waiting to climb a mountain that is constantly growing. And the, the, the longer we delay our climb, the further we have to go. Uh -huh. Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> to finish, I guess you work with, do you work with students in your research as well? Mm -hmm. Yes. What is their mood about climate change? What's the sort of the mood uh, there amongst, amongst your uh, students? So, you know, 10 years ago, uh, many people think, and also students, uh, thought Global warming is not our problem, and there is the problem of next generation, something like that. But now, actually, this issue is our problem. And also, all of my students, they feel like this is their problem, so they feel responsibility. Uh, many of my students, they, uh, they entered this field because they they are thinking this is their problem and they want to be part of uh, 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 part of a solution yeah <laughs> very, very well put and, and a place like Busan is a port city a lot of low-lying waterfronts uh -huh. uh, are there defenses being put in now against 
rising sea levels and storm surges? Right, so this uh, regional sea level rise, that is a really important issue in Busan city. And also we, uh, we have uh, you know, international airport mm. near, uh, the, near the ocean. Yes. So uh, this is getting very severe problem and the city uh, are uh, working to prevent uh, the strong surge uh, associated with the regional sea level rise, but I don't know whether that will be enough or not. So, yeah, this is the uh, uh, incoming threat to Busan City as well. I mean, there have been some figures here in the UK uh, that extreme weather, certain types of extreme weather, that would have been 10,000 year events are now three-year events and may become annual events. And I guess that's part of the change we must expect. Uh, that's right. Also in Korea, uh, issue heat waves, the frequency and inten uh, intensity of heat waves have been increasing. Uh, and also the heavy rainfall. Uh, Korea is also part of a monsoon area. And sometimes we do see the changes in rainfall patterns and uh, changes in rainfall variability. Uh, so those are actually threatening to many of you know, society and the human system uh, in Korea as well. And uh, this kind of extreme event, the frequency and intensity will be increased uh, with further warming. But would you say, no matter what uh, debate there may be about pace and scale, that we are moving in the right direction at this COP? Uh, so, I still need to see that because it is easy to say, right? It is easy to declare. Uh, but the most important thing is the actual action to go and actual response. And especially in this report, we show that near-term response is very important to meet our long-term goal. And especially in my chapter, we assess that uh, regardless any of our path, 1.5 degree warming will be reached or exceed in the next 20 years. So it is very important uh, for us also uh, to adapt uh, the climate change as well. Dr. Robert Mulvaney, I'm a glaciologist at the British Antarctic Survey in Cambridge. Tell me about your area of speciality. So I, I drill ice cores from the polar regions, particularly from Antarctica. Ice cores, when we get them back to the labs in Europe, we can measure the chemistry of the ice and that tells us something about, the, about climate change over very long periods of time. And we can extract gas bubbles from the ice and that can, by analysing them, we can look at the atmosphere over very long periods of time. So this is a bit like a time machine, looking back at what was in the atmosphere over thousands of years. Exactly, thousands of years. So snow in Antarctica builds up year upon year upon year, basically doesn't melt in the central Antarctica. So we can sit, stand at the surface, we can drill into the ice all the way down to the bedrock, and we're drilling into the past. So in that sense, it is a time machine. The deeper we go, the older the ice, the older the information we get about the atmosphere and the climate. So, I mean, the, the, the measurements made in the atmosphere uh, in, in recent decades, probably go back to what the 1950s of the Keeling curve. Um, but to look beyond that, further back, 
you really need to go into these ice cores. So what are they telling us? Yeah, so the ice cores are the only place left on Earth where we can access old air. That's what makes them so critical to about understanding the modern changes in, in the atmosphere. It's the only thing that sets in context that modern change from the Keeling curve. So what they're telling us is if we go back 800,000 years, which at the moment is the longest or deepest and longest core we've ever drilled, then it tells us that through that time, the Earth has been in and out of, a, of an ice age eight times. We really call it a glacial period. So we go from glacial to interglacial to glacial to interglacial eight times. And all through that time, the carbon dioxide and the methane in the atmosphere, they've followed climate very, very closely. So let's look at the numbers. So in a cold period, in a glacial, you'd expect to see 280 parts per million of carbon dioxide. So that's 280 molecules of carbon dioxide in every million molecules of air. If you go to those, one of those warm interglacials, like we're living in at the moment, then you'd expect to see somewhere around 280 parts per million. So it's gone from 180 to 280 between a cold period and a warm period. And this is due to the, uh, if you like, the organic life that's, is it, that's, that's, that's affected by these uh, cold, colder and warmer periods. Yeah, so it's partly, it's partly that. So that as the Earth's orbit changes around the sun, it, it changes the amount of energy we absorb from the sun, and that's what drives us in and out of those cold and warm periods, the glacials and interglacials. The carbon dioxide in the atmosphere responds to that because it's a balance between what's in the atmosphere, what's in the biosphere, what's in the oceans, and what's in the deep oceans. Some of that carbon that's locked up in the deep oceans can be re-emitted back to the atmosphere in, in, as, as the climate warms. So that's why they're, they're interlinked. But if you come forward all the way through to the last 10,000 years, the Holocene warm period, the very stable warm period we've been living in for the last 10,000 years, all through that time, the level of carbon dioxide is about 280 parts per million, just what we'd expect to see in a warm period. But, but then comes the industrial revolution. Yeah. Come the industrial revolution, we start to burn carbon we start to burn fossil fuels, we emit carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, and carbon dioxide begins to rise. And the numbers that I like to, to tell you about are 280 parts per million, that's what we saw right up until the Industrial Revolution began. It began to slowly rise, so around about the end of the, the, end of the 18th century started to rise, right the way up to the day I was born, when it had, which had reached 315 parts per million. So we'd gone from 280 to 315 on the day I was born. Today it's 415, so we've risen another 100 parts per million in my lifetime. So we've added a third extra carbon dioxide to the atmosphere in my lifetime alone. Now project that forward into the future and you can see that without any changes in the, in our, the way that we burn fossil fuels and emit carbon dioxide, that is just going to continue to rise. So it's very much that post-war boom, uh, growth of cars, industrial processes, that have really just feel that massive rise. I believe so, yes. Yeah. So it's, it's really it's the modern way of living. We, we, we demand more and more energy for industrial processes, for travel, for you know, heating our homes. I think when I was a youngster, I don't remember ever living in a warm house, for example. <laughs> Nowadays, I can't tolerate anything but a warm house, it would seem. Yeah. Now, um, I know I think in June at Mount Mauna Loa, it almost hit 420. Yeah. So here we are, it's still going up, yeah. uh, still rising. COP26 is here to say we've got to massively cut our carbon dioxide emissions to hit net zero. But as uh, Ralph Keeling told me, that's when we stop making things worse. Yes. So what about making things better? Now, I know nature can do so much, uh, but 
do we need to help nature? What, where do we need to bring carbon dioxide levels down to? Well, it's, it's actually quite difficult to take carbon dioxide back out of the atmosphere. It takes a lot of energy to sequester, for, for, for sequester carbon dioxide in an industrial process. The biosphere and the oceans, they, they, they will naturally take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, but they're quite slow. So the average length of lifetime of a carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is around about 100 years. So if it's in a sense, what we've already put into the atmosphere already is going to be around for a long time before natural processes can remove it back out of the atmosphere. And that's really why we have to really stop putting more and more into the atmosphere each year. Each year the, the level of carbon dioxide goes up between about two and a half and three parts per million and that's incessant. It hasn't really stopped with all the mitigation, all the reductions that, that countries have made. It's still continuing to rise at a similar sort of rate. So in a way we need to do more. And we've seen uh on the Antarctic, you know, uh, the accelerated carving and melting of glaciers, um, the, the greater contribution there in Greenland, uh, on land glaciers disappearing. Um, so I guess the effects of this are going to continue irrespective of us cutting emissions drastically over the next 50 years. Yeah, I think that is one of the worries that a lot of what the lot of climate change over the next hundred years it's already set in process. It's already set in motion. Um, you know, the levels of carbon dioxide. I don't, in a way, believe that the atmosphere is necessarily caught up with it yet. So I think we can continue to see temperatures rise globally. As you say, that will start to reduce the the, the mass of, of ice that's held in in the polar regions. It's not so much just carving at the edges, but in some of the some of the big glaciers of Antarctica, the satellites are already observing the, the surface level beginning to lower, and that's loss of mass from from the polar regions, which of course adds to sea level, causes sea level rise, which is another of the big consequences of, of climate change that we really want to avoid. Being so close to all this, then, what is your greatest concern? My greatest concern, really, I suppose, is that we don't do anything. We just continue to live as we are. But I, I think, in a way, I'm quite optimistic. Somewhere like COP26 here in Glasgow, you, you, OK, we've, we've, not made, we've not found a solution yet, but you can see that a lot of governments are engaged, a lot of industry is engaged. You can see you know, a, a move towards alternative energy sources. So I'm kind of optimistic. I don't think I'm going to be around long enough to see carbon dioxide falling again. In fact, I often say that... I don't think anybody alive today will see carbon dioxide fall back below 400 parts per million. I think that's kind of impossible for even the, you know, even a, a child born today won't see that happen. But nevertheless, I'm kind of optimistic that there's so much energy being put into alternative, well, energy, alternative energy sources. Governments actually, you know, taking on board they need to do something about it, and industry responding. So, this is a long-term plan, a long-term mission and there are going to be casualties on the way, some of these low-lying islands potentially. I think that is again a worry. In fact, most of, the, most of the big cities in the world, because they're built around ports, are actually quite close to sea level. You've got low-lying islands, they are very, very close to sea level. Sea level rises a metre, many of those will be inundated. But equally, some of the big cities of the world, the big ports of the world, they will also be suffering. London itself, you know, without the, the Thames barrier, would be flooding much more regularly, or would, would be flooding regularly. But you know, as 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 the as the sea level begins to rise over the next rises further over the next century, you know, the, the Thames barrier itself becomes, you know, no longer suitable for its function. So I guess we reap what we sow over the past decades 
and we need to sow better going into the future. That's a nice way of putting it, yes it is. I'm Jonathan Levy and this has been The Waterline Live, linking the Humber with COP26. A Blue Aurora media production for Marketing Humber.